1: Hey and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell and with me today to discuss the USA's dramatic come-from-behind win on the road in World Cup qualifying against Honduras is a man who always gets both his starting 11 right... And his substitution's right, which makes him at least 50% better than Greg Berhalter on the evening.
2: It's Joe Lowry. Hello, Joe. <laughs> Taylor, if you'd seen me play FIFA, you would know mm-hmm. that that's not true. But I appreciate <laughs> the compliment nonetheless.
1: Yeah, man. Uh, so we are here to talk about the game that uh, had us both scratching our heads for a good long while afterwards last night. Joe, what was your sort of approach to processing this one? Did you rewatch right away? Did you take a breather? What what'd
2: you go through? I took a quick breath. I'd already rewatched the first 10, 15 mm-hmm. minutes at halftime. So I took a breath. I, I was comforted by the fact that I didn't have to watch the entire first half all over again right after the second half ended. But then, yeah, I, I kind of just got right back into it. And, and, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I felt like it was better to just rip the bandaid off the second yeah. time rather than wait till the morning because it would have been early for me to wake up this morning.
1: I kind of wonder if that will influence the way we perceive this, because I think I, as I tweeted, uh, went out onto my porch. It was like 1230 at night. (laughs) Uh, I drank a drink. I thought about some things. And I think what I kept going back to, and you and I texted a little bit about this last night, is the idea that, like, though they get this resounding win and fight back and in other situations, if they won against El Salvador and then drew Canada or vice versa, and then they got this win, I think I'm much more positive. But because it was so poor at times... But then, so much better at times, I I, I left feeling like I still don't have a very good read on this team. And I think the goal for today is maybe for us both to figure some things out and get some clarity. Uh, Joe, like, where were you heading into that rewatch, though? Were you feeling
2: pretty pessimistic? Uh, Yes. And (laughs) to be honest, I I know this is kind of what you are getting at before. I'm still feeling a bit pessimistic. And I'm not sure. Maybe that will change over the course of the show. Maybe it won't. I'm excited to talk some of these things out. But, man... The first half was just terrible. I don't, I, that was a pretty strongly worded tweet for me, for me, not for everyone. But I tweeted out at halftime, that was a terrible half of soccer from the U.S. men's national team. And it genuinely was. And like you said, the second half was better in a lot of different ways. I'm still not wholly convinced. And I think it might be unrealistic for anyone to be totally convinced about this team after one solid 45-minute stretch relative to maybe 225 minutes that weren't as convincing over the, the other stretches of this window. But still, there are positives to be found here, and I'm excited to dig into both the positives and the negatives on the show. All
1: right, well, let's set the stage then for a moment, because before this game kicked off, I was pretty apprehensive, not just for the way things had gone previously, but because of the injuries and the kind of lack of depth we had in certain key positions. Obviously, Weston McKinney was sent home, We've talked about that plenty. It's been talked about plenty. Greg Berhalter, tired of talking about it, it seems. But we also had Zach Steffens, Serginio Dest, uh, Giovanni Reyna, all out. Longer term, we did not have Eunice Musa. We didn't have Jordan Morris or Aaron Long. Cannon and Hoppy not called into this squad for transfer-related reasons. So we ended up fielding, I believe, the youngest ever team. Uh, youngest ever starting 11 in a World Cup qualifier for the United States, and I think it's tied for the youngest team of all time for the United States, uh, at least on the men's side. Uh, so I think one... With that said, Joe, we saw the lineups. You uh, were kind enough to tweet them out on the Total Soccer Show feed, uh, and it was pretty center back-heavy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was it was bizarre, right? I looked at it and I did a double take, and then I did a triple take because there were four center backs, three and a half if you count James Sands as that half. There was no real right back. There were two strikers. It was a super weird starting 11. An interesting one. Don't get me wrong, but a weird one that after thinking about some more and doing my quadruple take, I, I didn't like a whole lot, Taylor. Matt Turner in goal. I like that. I always like that. Then as the three center backs, it was John Brooks in the middle, Miles Robinson to the right and Mark McKenzie to the left. Bello at left wing back and Tyler Adams at right wing back. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute, I'm sure. Kellen Acosta and James Sands as the double pivot in a 3-4-3. And that was the key. It ended up being a 3-4-3 with Pepe as the nine super exciting and he he was a very interesting player to watch in this game had some really great moments Polisic on the left and Sargent on the right didn't like Sargent on the right this lineup to me Taylor felt like a lot of square pegs and round holes and and Berhalter didn't have to try to hammer the square pegs into the round holes that was not necessary and so I don't know it sent me into a bit of a tizzy before this game started.
1: So, all right, so I have it as uh in terms of like the number of rolls of the dice from burhalter it was the shift to the back three which he said uh that they were always planning to do but maybe not with this personnel uh but still that is that is a change from what we've seen at least in this round of World Cup qualifying but then sands as a central midfielder instead of a center back where we saw him more commonly in the gold cup Adams to right wing back sergeant to the right wing, Pepe up top, George bellows starting and I would even extend that I think, to John Brooks starting in the heart of the defense because left-footed, I think he would have made a lot of sense as the left center back, not just be- because of that, but also because I think this game he's pulled at halftime for a couple different reasons, but I think one of them was his communication, or lack thereof. Halter, when asked about it in the post-match press conference, what went wrong— one of the things he spotlighted from the very beginning was that the United States just kept letting gaps form between the front line and the back line. And the, the major reason for that was the back line not stepping up aggressively enough. And I, and I do wonder if, if you have a more vocal center center back there, do they step up more aggressively? Are they just more active in getting like, higher up the pitch to then make Honduras have to play out from deeper? Uh, so I think those were at least most or all of the of rolls of the dice.
2: Joe, anything I missed there? I've got one more, and it's it's A a minor one, I think, in the grand scheme of things. But Mark McKenzie starting at left center back over a guy like Walker Zimmerman. I, yeah. Did Walker Zimmerman cut his hair, and, and it was a Samson situation, <laughs> an Old Testament situation? Clearly. Like He was he was good in the Gold Cup, and, and I think he's right now just a better center back than Mark McKenzie. Mark McKenzie makes me nervous back there, and I don't think he was very good in this game in large part. And so I don't know why we haven't seen Walker Zimmerman in this window so far. I wonder if there's just something we don't know about. But every center back on this squad that Berhalter called in has gotten at least some minutes except Walker Zimmerman. I don't know why that is, but if everything is is... If we know everything, and if these players are both healthy, Walker Zimmerman and Mark McKenzie, I, I would have started Zimmerman, and I think he's just a better player right now. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, Berhalter asked about that as well, not the McKenzie aspect, but the uh, the starting 11, did mention that he didn't think DeAndre Yedlin had the fitness to go for 90 minutes as a right wing back, but that they wanted to use him as an impact sub, and I think implied that that was the same thing for Anthony Robinson, that they always expected to use him as an impact player. When asked by, uh, by Paul Tenori, I believe it was, about why Tyler Adams was playing on the right no excuse me it was Grant Wall who was on that one uh Berhalter responded John I'm putting you on the spot here because again my goldfish brain is active <laughs> he said that Adams played right wing back for Leipzig all last season and I remember some games that he was playing there I also feel like I remember a lot of games when he did end up playing centrally
2: it was a mix, but I do think Berhalter's right. I think he played the okay. majority of that season under Nagelsmann at right wing back, yeah.
1: Okay, so so then, yeah, totally familiar. It's all perfect. No problems there at all, just kidding. <laughs> uh, so then, we okay, so we've gone through some of, like, the wrinkles, some of the permutations, some of the things we didn't see coming. Joe, what do you think then, once this team kicked off, what do you think became the big problems for them? Let's start with when trying to possess and create goal-scoring chances, and then we'll look at the defensive
2: side. Okay, that sounds great to me, Taylor. I think from the start of this game, the U.S. was ineffective in possession. And I don't think there'll be a lot of folks out there arguing with me. One big part of that, in my view, is the personnel just not making a ton of sense. Josh Sargent on the right wing, we've seen way too much of that for (laughs) club and country. He's not a 1v1 attacking player. and, And Josh Sargent was being put in positions to attack players 1v1. There's multiple moments in this first half where Sargent gets the ball in the right half space, tries to drive at someone, and just looks... Incapable of doing that, which is fair. That's not really his game; it never has been. He hasn't developed at that so far for club or for country. He loses the ball in the sixth minute, trying to go one v one. He tries to take on a Honduran midfielder in the twenty-six minute, can't. Puts James Sands then in a bad spot with a bit of a hospital ball. Sands then loses the ball in Honduras, break forward. Sargent's just one example of a square peg in a round hole. I didn't think it made sense. There were issues there. The double pivot as well. Taylor, James Sands, Kellen Acosta. Neither one of those guys could really progress the ball. And Baralzer talked about this in his post-match press conference. His game plan was to sit in a mid-block and not really press high. And, and for James Sands, that's probably nice because he's not this, this super mobile midfielder. But Kellen Acosta, all you're doing there is taking away his strengths. All you're doing is forcing him to try to progress the ball from deep when you do win it back. And he was very poor at that in this game. There's a number of moments where he cannot execute in sequences that he needs to, including, I would argue, even the sequence that leads to the U.S.'s goal in the second half. He's a little slow to progress the ball. He loses it. And then the U.S. do end up breaking forward after they clear it out and up to Pepe. So there was oh, yeah. problems with, with personnel. And then I would argue there's just issues with how the team played in terms of how they tried to progress the ball out of the back. They never looked comfortable under pressure. There are a number of sequences in the first half. Miles Robinson not looking comfortable. Sands, Turner, none of those players really looked comfortable in progressing the ball. And that really hurt the U.S. because Honduras came out hot. They came out pressing. They came out in what looked to me like a 3-4-1-2 shape. It was very fluid and it rotated along the back line and changed a little bit with the subs in the second half. But regardless of Honduras' shape, they were pressing and the U.S. just didn't respond well to that at all, Taylor.
1: Yeah, and I and I think this is where I do lean into the Berhalter got this wrong in a number of different ways because I know he said this was part of the plan to go back three slash back five. I know he talked about not having the personnel that he wanted to be able to do that to like the strongest degree. But then if you're the manager, you look at that and think, OK, I wanted to do this, but this doesn't put us in the best possible position. So we're going to stick with something that is more comfortable for the players who have already been in that system, who know what's expected of them in that system. And then we can adjust as need be, or maybe even go to a back five in the second half. But I, I, I think that is kind of a, a large part of why I feel frustrated by Burhalter in this window more than I expected to, because... I think up until this point, his decisions have been logical in that they've been building towards something. Even when we got stuff wrong, even when they got destroyed by Mexico, it's because they're trying to put an emphasis on building out of the back to see if they can. And I think they they land upon sometimes they do and sometimes they don't, which is fine. But. When you start to feel like it's more scattered or more random, that's when I start to get uncomfortable because you want these teams to have a plan for how they're going to play and you want everyone to understand that plan. And I think at least in the first half and especially after uh, Honduras go 1-0 up, you can just see that there's no consistency and there's a – instead there's a consistent and I I would say – Uh, Yeah, pervasive, like, element of not knowing where you're supposed to be or what you're exactly supposed to do. Josh Sargent routinely, like, making runs where other players did. There's the Pulisic just missed header where Josh Sargent makes the exact same run, like, literally is almost on top of Christian Pulisic, but then doesn't change. And I think if he recognizes, oh, Pulisic is there, I'll make a... He's sort of uh like cleaning up the trash run to the back post. There's an argument that he gets there on the end of it and puts that in and the US is one nil up. And and I just thought he he kind of constantly looked like, am I like looking around for a second or two, like, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Okay, I am, then I can play. And that indecision was pretty common throughout. And even in the way the US wanted to go direct at times, and I would see George Bellow go bombing down that left wing in the, in the opening maybe 15 minutes, and we'd hit this long ball. The U.S. would lose possession, and now he's 60 yards out of position with no cover, and the center back stayed really tight. Burhalter talked about that, too, and that being a problem, and... And so once again, for the third time in this World Cup qualifying uh, cycle so far, we saw the U.S. just kind of have three or four different approaches in varying parts of the field. And when you have that, it's impossible to get everybody on the same page. And it ends up feeling like a bunch of individuals or a couple of individuals trying to make something happen. And that lasts, in my mind, until about the 25th minute when Honduras score. And then it's pretty much chaos stations.
2: Before we get to that Honduras goal, I want to add one more issue with the U.S.'s possession in Mm -hmm. this first half. And this is one thing that got dramatically better in the second half. In the first 45 plus stoppage time, the U.S. was way too slow to transition. In the 16th minute, John Brooks gets the ball. He heads it forward to Kellen Acosta after Honduras, I think, has tried to play it long out of the back to find one of their forwards. Acosta then passes to Christian Pulisic. Christian Pulisic plays it right back. and They're combining, and Acosta finds Sargent, but the U.S. never really find an advantage there. They're not attacking All out. They're not trying to really push numbers forward and exploit that momentary advantage of the transition moment. Those are, those are the advantages that those kinds of situations, defense to attack, that those provide. There's another one two minutes later where Pepe comes back, wins the ball defensively in midfield, plays it up to Polisic, and absolutely no one, Taylor, is running towards goal. No one. The U.S. lose the ball and have to start defending again. There was no energy pushing forward on the attack in this game. And this is one of the things. There are plenty of things to complain about from Greg Berhalter in this game. Lineup things, personnel things, and we've already done some of that. And I'm sure we'll do more of that. But, But one of the things I think that's heavily on the players in this game is those incredibly slow transition moments. These players know how to transition. They know how important those are to modern soccer, and we're just not seeing it. There are moments where it's just static, and it was way too static, and there have been other moments like that in this particular window. That was a big problem, and for the U.S. who wasn't dangerous in possession, if you're not then dangerous in possession like we saw against Canada, this is a bit of a different situation, where did that goal come from against Canada? It came from Brendan Aronson making moves defensively, winning the ball, and then the U.S. going in transition. The U.S. had none of that in the first half, and when you have none of that, it's no surprise that you're not creating chances and you're not getting on the scoreboard.
1: So I suspect your normal answer, and I think probably the appropriate answer to this one would be a bit of both. But I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to choose one of the other. Like <laughs> just which one do you think is if it's fifty-one, forty-nine, that's fine, but which one is fifty-one percent to forty-nine? Is that sort of inconsistency, the sort of stop-start approach, the slowness to build, do you put that more on individual performers or when you have a player turning to play the ball forward, and then another player doesn't know they're supposed to make run into into the space, so then that midfielder has to turn back and play it backwards. Or if you just basically consistently have players not being quite sure what their role is what their assignment is how much of that is on the manager basically is that slowness in transition that slowness to build and create is that down more so to individuals for you or is that down
2: to Berhalter oh Taylor I, uh, I, don't, I don't know it is, it is a chunk <laughs> the of the of the matter man it really I, is I, I'm actually trying to think because I don't know the answer to that yeah. question I'm trying to reason it out there is a large piece of blame that has to go on Greg Berhalter for this Right, his job yep. is to prepare players for these games Games to execute his ideas and give them a platform to execute their own it seems to me that almost none of those things were happening in the first half of this game and they haven't been happening enough in this world cup qualifying window over the summer or in the last two and change years that brother's been in charge i think that is the reality at this point so there is a, a big piece of blame there that the players aren't being given it seems the platform to succeed but also man it goes right back to where i was before and i know i'm not answering your question and to be honest taylor i don't think i'm going to but that's fine I, Like There's a big part that has to go on these players. They know how to do this stuff. And it's in a way, it is inexcusable that it wasn't happening early on. And credit to them for changing. And credit to Berhalter, clearly, for making the changes that needed to be made, even though he's the one that provided the platform that made the changes necessary in the first place. So there's a bit of a dichotomy there. But credit to all parties involved for how they responded. But for me, and this is why I'm a bit pessimistic on this particular game and this window still as a whole, the changes in the positive performance in the second half does not outweigh how the hole, the size hole that the U.S. really did dig them in performance-wise. Score-wise, it does outweigh the the hole. But performance-wise, it just doesn't move the needle all the way back to the middle or to the positive side for me just because of how poor this first half was.
1: That's totally fair. I think I am more positive for similar but opposite reasons, essentially, (laughs) because I I do think that – A lot of the problems for the United States go back to the way they were set up and the instructions that were relayed both in terms of attack and defense. And that is the manager. There are definitely individual performers that were not sharp enough that I think we had heavy legs for sure. But Josh Sargent, I'm not trying to just like drill down on him. But there's three different moments in the opening 15 minutes where he is – open in space and miscontrols or takes a heavy touch or just cuts it back when he doesn't need to. And certainly some of that is individual, but I do put a lot of it on Greg Berhalter. But I think the the strange almost like handcuff is that if you're going to blame him for that opening mistake, you basically have to give him the credit for the turnaround and for that adjustment. And I think that's where I think I do blame him for the first half, but I also give him a lot of credit for the second and that it ends up being four to one. I know... Like, I know why you are where you are, Joe. I think I just in the end that it is that result. And fundamentally, that's what we want. That's what we needed. I think I am more okay with things, roughly speaking. But let's keep talking it out. Let's see how the U.S. did say defensively uh, in just a moment. But first, let's take a break.
0: Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone?
1: So, Joe, we have talked about what the United States was trying to do, attempting to do, wanted to do, hopefully thoughtfully wanted to try to do uh, in the first half, but failed to do. What about defensively? What did you
2: see them trying to do? So this is another plug for the Berhalter press conference. Berhalter yeah. gives really good press conferences to his credit. Even even after his ten years over, if he could stick around and just hang out with the new manager at some point down the line, <laughs> whenever that is, and also give some thoughts, I'd really enjoy that. I love yep. hearing Berhalter talk about soccer. It's fascinating to me defensively, there were issues. And one of the things that Peralta highlighted is specifically with Pepe. He said Pepe would go off and press on his own when that really wasn't the game plan. And I would argue that wasn't just a Pepe problem. That was a Pepe and Sargent problem, even though it wasn't a front two. There were a lot of moments. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I I am totally with you because
1: I in my notes, thought that that was an ins- a specific instruction. Pepe did it so often and was yeah. so high up the pitch in relation to everybody else that I was like, oh, he must be like sent there to stretch the back line or to make sure the center backs stay home a little bit more. And then I saw Sargent starting to join him, and I thought, oh, Josh Sargent is doing something he's not supposed to be doing. So really interesting to hear from Greg Berhalter that Pepe was not supposed to be stepping that high. And then De- Sargent definitely wasn't either, but I can – I think it speaks to the indecision again that Sergeant ends up trying to split that difference, which causes even more problems.
2: Yeah. And, and my issue here, well, one of the issues is why isn't that fixed sooner? And I don't know. Maybe they can't hear each other. The crowd was loud, right? It was it was noisy in there, at least from what we could tell on the broadcast. So communication is not the easiest thing. I get that. It does feel like this could have been fixed. There's at least two moments, probably more in the first half. I just noted one for Pepe and one for Sergeant, where they each individually are stepping forward. Pepe in one moment, Sergeant in the next. Stepping forward to high press and no one goes with them. And now that we've heard the press conference, we know that that wasn't the game plan. So it's, it's less on the rest of the players, although maybe they should still recognize that moment and say, if we don't go, we're going to get broken. And that is what happened. But it happened too much in the first half. And so that was a big issue, and it let Honduras play. And Honduras, credit to them, they were good in this first half. They were really good in this first half. And they looked ready to play and ready to possess and break the U.S. down. So that's, that's one issue I have. And then real quick, Taylor, the other issue, and this ties directly into the goal, and I saw you tweet about this. Defensively for the U.S., the front line was getting bypassed on repeat in this first half. 18th minute, 27th minute, that's the goal sequence. 33rd minute, 38th minute, probably others that I didn't write down. Sargent and Pepe, again, front three, Pulisic on the left, Sargent on the right, Pepe in the middle. But a lot of moments it, it did feel like Sargent was pinching into press because of uh, uh, how he likes to play and how Honduras was setting up. And so it did almost look like a front two with Pepe and Sargent at times and Pulisic a little bit out of the picture. But when those two players would step forward, their pursuit angles were bad their pursuit angles didn't cut off access into midfield and that's a hard thing to actually execute but it's something that professional players i think should know how to execute with the aid of communication behind them with their own experience i mean that's that is a fundamental defensive thing taking and bending your run to close the center back down as a striker to then block off angles into midfield and it peppy peppy didn't execute that properly Sargent didn't execute it properly on the goal which is the thing i saw you tweet about taylor that problem caused the u.s a lot of issues it made John Brooks looked bad. John Brooks was not the best in this game, and I understand why he got subbed off at halftime, but he and the two central midfielders were being put in poor positions because of how the front line actually attacked the ball.
1: And that is, I, I hear you on the individuals, that is another area where I think the responsibility is 100% on Greg Berhalter. Because he talked, again, in the press conference about wanting to be mid-block and low-pressure, which is where he talked about Ricardo uh, changing it by being maybe overly aggressive in the press. But if you're saying we want it to be mid-block, low-pressure, and simultaneously saying our forwards stepped too high and our backline was way too slow to step like you you are not in any way executing the defensive game plan that you have set up and when it's that wholly different from what you're supposed to be doing i have big big question marks and big big red flags uh, and i think a in the four things that he pointed out those are two the third would be that the central midfielders then uh were basically Overwhelmed or not easy, easily able to kind of step and win the ball off of their counterparts who routinely had way too much time and space to kind of settle secondary balls. But I think that factors in or that is a part of the U.S. kind of just being stretched and giving up way too much space in the middle. And then the other thing he highlighted was the, the back line not covering for the wingbacks, the wingbacks not passing on marks uh, as readily as was necessary, and that does go straight to the goal. So agree with him on that one for sure, but I, I'm worried about some of the other points he raised.
2: So do we want to talk through this goal, Taylor? Because yeah, let's I, do it. As I tweeted, and I know you tweeted something similar, so many problems for, yep. on this goal for the U.S. <laughs> and yep. so it starts out uh, with Honduras in possession. They've had the ball for a while. They've attacked. The U.S. have cleared it. They get the ball back. They're moving it around in possession. Uh, Meyer Figueroa finds Flores between the lines, and and that pass wouldn't have happened if Sargent gets his angle right to close the ball down, but he doesn't. So Flores then is on the ball between the lines and then breaks lines again. So the the midfield line is now broken after the forward line was broken as Flores plays it forward to Toro between the lines. And and at this point, John Brooks steps forward as that center center back, trying to win the ball or, or maybe foul the man doesn't do either, big problem. Honduras then play the ball out wide to the left, they cross it in, Moya heads it home, and it's 1-0. So I already pointed out a couple of those errors, Taylor. I yeah. don't know if you want to talk through some more or where you want to go with this, yeah. but this was this was no bueno.
1: It was not. And and uh Yeah, I'll just keep harping on it for a moment. (laughs) Uh, it is Sargent, like, stepping awkwardly, getting easily bypassed, and then not, like, really sprinting back to get into a better defensive position. It is also, you're right, it's Honduras in a, in a kind of sustained moment of attack, and then they recycle, and then they get this chance. That happens because Josh Sargent has the ball in open space, takes a heavy touch, has to control it, comes under pressure, and plays a, a pretty bad, pretty awkward pass back to James Sands. It's, it's, like, very driven but also to his, I think, non-dominant foot, and from not far away, Sands can't control, and that leads to a counterattack. So, to my mind, it's Sargent who sort of gives up possession, and yeah. then it's Sergeant who yeah. creates the space that Honduras then attack, uh, and creates the space in the wrong way, but then it is those holding midfielders, like, they look so bad on the replay because they're just so static, but... I think that's what they've been asked to do is sort of split the difference between the front line and the back line and then just police the middle and make sure there aren't obvious opportunities. But when there's such an opening through the middle that like Honduras very easily exploited, you, if you're one of those central midfielders, do you sprint 20 yards out and try to close and risk doing exactly what John Brooks does moments later? I don't know, but I don't have as much blame for either one of them as I do for John Brooks because to your point, Joe – If you're going to make that run, if you're going to step out, and it's it's a big step, and I do wonder if maybe he could have just told somebody, hey, slide over and mark that guy or just be aware or even just stepped so that there was no turn possible, that it was just I'm here, I'm in your back. You can feel that pressure, and a lot of times that can lead to a poor first touch or just the ball immediately going backwards. Brooks tries to make the hero play but then also realizes he isn't going to in the moment, but also realizes that he's not going to foul. Uh, some people on Twitter pointed out that he was on a yellow card. I would say he was on a yellow card for qualifying, not for this game. So he's not at the risk of a red card. I guess he's at the risk of suspension if he picks up another one. But I also feel like there's a chance he doesn't start the next game. So who knows if that would have been such a big issue. But instead, because he steps out and doesn't win the ball, he is now completely taken out of the play. But a bigger problem becomes Mark McKinsey now has two people to mark. He slides over to who John Brooks was supposed to be on. But that now leaves George Bellow with two players to mark. And George Bellow, until this point, had already been sort of struggling to track his mark. But then when Andy Nahar gets involved in the attack, I think he... Bellow wasn't quite sure when to pass off his mark versus stepping to Nahar versus moving more central, and again, that's a thing that Berhalter talked about. I think it's a reason why Bellow is subbed out at halftime. Uh, but here, I, I think it's harsh to blame him for the goal, even though it looks like he's just completely switched off because I think he is trying to track his mark but also aware of what's happening and I think doesn't quite know what to do in the moment. And and again, I think I put a, I put a lot of that on John Brooks gambling and losing, basically.
2: Yeah, and then he just doesn't make an effort to get back into the box. The camera, the camera work made it a little hard, not the camera work, but the camera angle made it a little hard to see at times what shape Honduras was playing and it made it hard to see specific moments. This was one of those moments, but eventually on one of the replays from like angle four, we got to see half of John Brooks sort of half jogging back into the box and that's not the best look especially after the goal that Kyle Aaron scores against yep. Canada where Brooks doesn't do the job defensively in that moment either so yeah it, it is no surprise that Brooks subbed off at halftime was subbed off at halftime he was vulnerable in a couple of different moments even outside of this goal just a just a really bad sequence of breakdowns from the front line to the midfield line to the defensive line I mean, it was pretty much three strikes in this moment
1: it was. And, and I think the, he already had a couple strikes in my book uh, <laughs> before that, because even in possession, there's two different times in the opening 15 minutes or so when Matt Turner has the ball, uh McKinsey and uh, who's my other center back? Joe Robinson uh, spread wide. And that leaves Brooks in the middle. And he, and he is there with probably a good 20 yards of space to turn and play forward. And he is just frantically telling Matt Turner to kick it long, to play it long and diagonal. and And again, maybe that's part of the game plan. Maybe they're trying to be direct. But I have to believe that John Brooks is in there for many reasons, one of which is his distribution. And if he receives that ball and turns and plays it forward, even if it ends up coming back and then he plays it wide, it's still – the United States slowing it down, putting their foot on the ball, and starting to play their game. And you and I texted about this, that I think I have it in the 29th minute, I have it circled as, I still have no idea what Honduras is doing defensively, and I couldn't figure out why that was. I have a better idea now, but I messaged you, Joe, uh, and Joe's response was, yeah, I think it's basically because the United States hasn't had any possession or any sort of consistent attacking plays so that we could see what Honduras are doing defensively. And it was just so all over the place. It was crying out for one player or a couple players to just slow it down make smart choices set the example and let everybody follow and instead when that player who you want to be setting the example isn't being calm on the ball is sort of gambling defensively and then isn't showing that next level energy to get back and cover like it's it's a big problem and it definitely makes the nerves get bigger and when I first finished the half, I thought like that was the worst half of soccer I've seen from the United States in probably 4 years. I don't think I've changed that perspective that much, but I do think removing the emotion of the moment, it's a it is a better opening part of the game just because I remembered it being like the United States couldn't do anything and never had chances, and Honduras just looked cohesive throughout. And it was pretty back and forth. And it's not like Honduras had a ton of goal-scoring chances and then they found one. They had some half chances, but nothing super clear cut. But I think the United States basically makes individual mistakes. There's the like the system problem as well and concedes. And then there is this just very clear, oh, no. <laughs> this is not <laughs> good. This is the... Like, almost literally the last thing we wanted. Like, the only way it could have been worse is if you had, like, a dog-so red card penalty goal, and then now we're in trouble. But, like, short of that, it just felt like th- this whole team went from, like, I think we're doing okay, I think it's okay, I think it's okay, to, like, this is not good, and, and pretty much pure panic. And in, in a lot of ways, then, the U.S. fortunate to make it to halftime, only down one nil.
2: Things did not get better after that goal. Like you're saying, Taylor, if anything, they got a little bit worse. James Sands struggled on the ball. He has a couple of turnovers and very, well, very close to each other in terms of the timeline of this game. He has a turnover in the 43rd minute trying to play a lateral pass to Miles Robinson and just doesn't see, I believe, it's Lozano Closing Robinson down, and, and they lose the ball in that moment. Then Saints loses it again about 60 seconds later in the 44th minute. So he's struggling to get on the ball and progress it forward. Kellen Acosta isn't really bringing a whole lot in terms of possession in that double pivot spot that he's in. Sargent isn't impacted in the game anymore. Pepe, one one quick note on Pepe before I kind of exhaust my thoughts on the first half. I I think this will get lost in the shuffle of how exciting he was in the second half. I don't think he was good in the first half, Taylor. And it's harsh. And I want to I want to label. I want to look at all of this through the lenses of Pepe being such a young player and this being his first ever appearance for the U.S. Men's National Team. By and large, he was awesome in this game. Great experience. Great moment. Incredibly important goal in the second half. In the first half, though, he wasn't. He wasn't good. We talked about him going running off on his own in the press. We talked about him taking the wrong angle to cut off uh, midfielders for Honduras. He also struggled. Uh, in, in In possession physically, he got bodied off the ball twice or or nearly got bodied off the ball twice in the first four minutes, manages to hold the ball up a bit better in the twenty second minute but there's a number of sequences in this first half where he just looks out muscled and outclassed a little bit, and the second half got so much better along with the rest of this team, but that was a problem Pepe wasn 't really bringing much at that nine spot in the first half in my opinion, happy to be proven wrong on that, although i i, I 'll be a bit <laughs> slow to change my mind on that one i think but overall Taylor, the first half for all yep. the reasons we've mentioned for all those sequences I just went through, and I'm sure there's a bunch of other ones we could highlight, it was poor. And and I don't know if you have any more thoughts on that before we get into the much brighter second half.
1: Yeah, just one. Uh, I was texting with a buddy of mine, uh, so credit to him, Trey, for this one. Uh, But I was asking about his thoughts on the game from his playing experience. He acknowledged that he has elementary school playing experience compared to these guys. Uh, Let's be clear. Then he gave me his thoughts, which is basically that this team reminds him of an ODP team. Uh, that might be before some people's times but it's it's basically the idea that you have a collection of very talented players who are coming together knowing they are very talented but that doesn't always mean they're going to play as a as a cohesive unit and utilize that talent effectively and that like helped me understand that first half better because Burhalter going with the formation that he had like set upon at the beginning of camp but without a ton of the people who would have, or the personnel who would have filled out that squad. So instead it's replacement players or makeshift players in different positions. And then you're relying on them to be individuals, but also play... Your sort of system. And I think that to me again goes back to coaching that you, you have to put players in situations with which they are familiar or at least have enough familiarity to be able to feel confident. And so much of this game in the first half was individuals trying to do things, but also pretty clearly at times not understanding what they were specifically supposed to be doing. And so it ends up feeling. More of like a a team composed of individual parts, like an all-star team that sort of doesn't quite know how to attack because one person wants to be direct, one person wants crosses into the box, one person wants to do 1v1s and cutbacks, and so you end up getting this very disjointed like mess of a team, and then you also have sort of lackluster defending that leads to a goal. Yeah, it basically felt like an all-star game to me, at least in the first half.
2: And you'll get some of that on the international stage. I mean, you true. and I watched so many games at the Euros, and a lot of the games are ugly at World Cups, at Euros, at true. Copa Americas, at Gold Cups. International soccer can be ugly. But to, I guess, to round out my thoughts in this first half, you know, Burhalter's job, and he's talked about this before, is to give his players a foundation and a framework to, you know, to excel within that framework and to have that as a platform to elevate their abilities and help them work together. That didn't happen in this first half. That didn't happen, and that is an indictment on Berhalter's ability to set up a team and to understand what needed to happen in this game. That's, that's not good. I mean, we've talked about a lot of these errors. Sargent not really making a lot of sense at that right-wing spot. I know Aronson and De La Fuente have both played a good number of minutes over the last week, but you've ha- you got to think that one of those players would be a better fit for that spot if they could go and same with Roldan even and we see him in the second half so that's that's an issue James Sands playing in a role that requires him to move a lot laterally and, and to be a ball progressor which he can do at times but didn't look comfortable doing in this game I think that was a mistake especially in hindsight it's obviously a lot easier to see that but that's a problem Acosta having to do a lot of the ball progression doesn't make sense I mean so there, there's so many errors here in terms of personnel there's also errors in terms of we see these players just going out there and, and they're not understanding their assignment in case of Pepe and Sargent, or just not looking like they know what's going on. Those are, to go back to your earlier question, Berhalter versus the players, those are all things that I think we can put squarely the responsibility on Berhalter's shoulders for what happened in that first half.
1: Agree entirely. And it sounds like we are on the same page about the kind of overall structure of that first half and then also maybe where the majority of the blame lies maybe we will disagree about the second half and then the overall takeaway because I am I'm much more positive and I think I've come around to the positive view of things uh so let's get into that second half in just a moment but first one more break this episode
0: is brought to you by Michelob Ultra the official beer sponsor of the NBA want to get closer to the game than ever before
1: So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code T-S-S. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code T-S-S to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer
0: sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to
1: MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, Joe Lowry. So we have the first half in the books. Not great. Uh, decidedly not great. Second half, the U.S. comes out. It is a triple change to start. George Bellow, John Brooks, Josh Sargent off. Anthony Robinson, Sebastian Leggette. Brandon Aronson on, the United States get the equalizer three minutes later, more changes, more substitutions, Matt Turner stands on his head, the United States gets the uh, the header from Pepe, another from Aronson, another from Legette, and we end up 4-1 winners, everything's great,
2: Greg Berhalter's coach of the year, right? Um, everything is a lot better <laughs> at that point, I feel a lot better, Taylor, uh-huh. I was... I was nervous for this yep. particular U.S. team in this game. I was, I was not thinking that a turnaround was especially likely. I this, is this is a happened. moment.
1: I did not. I really didn't. I'm not even trying to be pessimistic. I saw nothing from that team in the first half, especially when they conceded. Sorry to cut you off. Taylor, no, you're fine. Just when they conceded. There was such a lack of fight. And, and we had a couple people point this out on Twitter that nobody ran and got the ball out of the net and ran back to midfield and was like, let's get this going. Nobody was clapping and cheering and trying to get people back up. It was just like, ugh, we did it again. Here we go. And the vibe was just so bad that, and I think that coupled with Burhalter waiting to make changes against Canada until so late. That it it seemed like it was going to be another game where he was going to kind of stick with things as they were, reassure everybody, make a few little adjustments here and there, wait till the 55th minute, then make a change or two, wait till the 70th minute, make another change, and then hope that we get – re- and it felt like it was going to be 80th minute, 1-0 down, and now we make a bunch of changes, and now we've really got to go for it. And I feel like he basically at halftime – this is where I start to give him a lot of credit – I have to believe holds his hands up and probably to that locker room says, I got this wrong. Like, and, and, and acknowledged in the press conference that he went in and said, like, we're going back to a 433. I'm going to put people in comfortable positions. I had to have some awkward conversations with some people who came out. I had to give very specific instructions to the people who came on. And I think that that is the sign of a good coach. I, the first half is exhibit a, as to the signs of a coach, not getting it right. But to acknowledge, I got this wrong to make, necessary and proactive changes that had a positive impact and and though he will always sort of downplay the pressure I have to believe he understood the pressure he was under and the pressure that would be on him if this didn't turn around and to be able to go in there with that all in mind and communicate what was necessary and have the players come out and perform in
2: that second half I think speaks volumes I I agree. I think the volumes are quieter in terms of how they're spoken than you do, I guess. I think that's where we differ on this particular second right. half. The first half, we talked about how bad it was. We just spent 35 minutes talking about how bad it was. and <laughs> we that's <did. laughs> We, we could have gone a lot longer on that, Taylor. We could have. And I am I am glad that Beralter made the changes he did at halftime. They needed to be made, and credit to him for making those changes. I'm not trying to take that away here. For me, though, the positive of making those changes is significantly outweighed by the fact that Everything was so bad and wrong in the first half, right? It's like you've got this giant pile of rocks that are are equaling the first half. And then the second half, Berlder took a lot of those rocks away. Like, he, he put them away. I don't know why rocks are bad in this analogy. This is a terrible analogy. But imagine rocks are bad, people. Berlder takes some of those rocks away and we're thinking, okay, that's it's not so bad. But for me, there's a lot of rocks still out there. There's a lot of problems still that I, I don't feel comfortable about from this team moving forward in terms of Berhalter's ability to set them up and give them a platform to succeed and execute a particular style of play despite the the flurry of goals in the second half. And the goals were great, and the goals were fun, and the second half was so much better. Despite that, I don't feel like Beralta atoned. And I don't, I'm not sure he would have been able to do anything that would have changed my mind in this particular moment. I, I'm not sure that he atoned for the errors of the first half with those three changes, despite how impactful they ended up being. It's not like in the second half, the U.S. started creating... So many real quality chances in possession, and they looked infinitely better. They they did the basics right in the second half. They got forward in transition. That's where the first goal comes from. They put crosses in, crosses into the box. It's not like it was night and day different yeah. from a tactical standpoint. The energy was better, and the movement was better, and the passing was crisper, and all of those things were better. But it, it just wasn't a night and day difference for me, despite the goal. And even if it was, I still think there are real errors that Berhalter you know, needs to think about before the October window.
1: Uh, Yeah, I don't disagree with you. I I think, like, a thing that kind of mattered to me is is like, is there any result in the second half that that could have made you forget the first? Because I don't think there is. I think that first half was so bad that like, it really it doesn't matter what they did in the second half. Obviously, I wanted them to win, and obviously, four goals is great. But it still is the case that I was like, that's great. That first half was awful. <laughs> like, we, and against a better team, we're 3 0 down at halftime, and four goals in the second half seems way less likely. And, and so I think I, like, you having said no, I agree. I don't think there's anything they could have done to erase that first half. And so I think now that they got the result, they got the three points, five points total from qualifying is below the bar that I had set for a good. Uh, result, But I, I mean, all we could hope for was a win in this game and they got it. And I think it then becomes what happens next. Where do we go from here? I still obviously want to talk more about this game, but I, I think the larger thing for me, Joe, is like, is this an outlier or is this a pattern in the next camp? Do we see them go with... A different formation with personnel who don't quite fit it. And do we see them look this poor again? Cause if so, then it becomes, that's the second time that's happened. And Joe, if you remember other times that this occurred in the past, like, please raise them. But I think that that is what it is for me with a national team coach and the way the national team gets assembled and built and progresses is what are we learning? What are we sticking with? What are we casting aside? What are we bringing back in? But like adjusting to make it fit into what we have now learned like how are you organically building something and this camp from start to finish has made me question a lot of what I thought were sort of hard and fast principles of this team under Burhalter. And I still have a lot of those questions coming out of it, and, and I think that the re- part of the reason why I'm optimistic is like we got the three points, we needed that, and now we know that we need to watch those next three games very intensely and with very specific things in mind to see what burhalter learned and how this team
2: responds. That's a lot of that. so well said Taylor. That is that's really well said. I do want to raise a couple of of please, moments please. that I think add I, I know to I'm the like pattern. going long and then like no, no, I'm no.
1: like stamping on pieces on parts of what you want to talk about. I apologize.
2: No, I mean I think that's in some ways the nature of this game and just like how we that's have to true. talk about it. I think part of my concern for this US team is the first half felt like the pattern instead of the second half based off of what we've seen recently. Right. There's a lot of this game that reminds me in certain ways of the big results that Baralther got over the summer. The first half was way worse than I think anything we saw over the summer. But, well, maybe outside of the end of that Canada Gold Cup quarterfinal game. I mean, there or maybe I was in the group stage. You can't remember now. It doesn't matter. It was not in the group stage. I was wrong. It was in the it was in the knockout round. Anyway, Joe, get it together, man. In in the summer, the results that the U.S. got were phenomenal. You cannot take that away from them. The execution was less convincing. I feel like you're about to take it away from them. I'm not. I'm going to try not to (laughs) because it is a fine line. There's nuance here. The execution in both of the finals against Mexico, the first one in Nations League, the U.S. won on set pieces, right? They didn't win that through any real convincing on-field play. Mexico broke them down repeatedly, and it it wasn't a blowout by any stretch of the imagination, but it wasn't fully convincing, or at least I wasn't convinced. And then in the Gold Cup final, a similar thing. I mean, it was not – a convincing win. And the same goes for the semifinal against Qatar. It took Matt Turner standing on his head and Kellen Acosta going full CONCACAF God mode in that second half for the team to get the result. And I I get a little concerned. I I wrote and I've talked positively about this team in the past. And and I'm not trying to take those away again. But I get concerned when the U.S. keeps getting results. And maybe this pattern will continue forever. Maybe it won't. But the U.S. keeps finding results somehow without a truly convincing on-field product. And so you're talking about maybe we need to figure out what the pattern is here. Well, I'm afraid that the pattern is kind of mediocre, unconvincing on field play that still somehow ends in a good result. And if history has taught us anything, if if data and analytics have taught us anything in more recent years, it's that eventually when the performances don't match the results, the luck is going to run out at some point. And and. I will be watching the October window very closely, obviously. It's what we do. But I'm concerned that we'll continue to see some unconvincing play like we did in the first half and in the first two games of this window. And this second half will be more of an outlier. I'd love to be wrong, and I hope I am. And I'm going to be paying attention to see how wrong I am going forward. But that's another reason why I don't feel fully up on this second half or on this game or on this result. Great result, much better second half. But I don't think it fixes or convinces me that the problems that have been there with the U.S. are being fixed.
1: Yeah, I, dude, I think that that's, that is – this is way too harsh of a way to pr- phrase this. But, like, if you have a person in your life who has substance abuse issues and has, like, had them for a long time, when they tell you, like, never mind, I, I'm clean now, don't worry about it, like, I think it is to be understood that you would be a little bit cautious before you're like, sure, you can have my bank card. Like, and I think that is a fine way – again, way too harsh, but I think that is a way – to see this team coming out of of this qualifying round, that like there are things there that I think if Burhalter really focuses on and makes the DNA of this squad, they will be better. They will win games, and they will look good doing it. if he sort of can continues to like try different things at different times and and it feels like be caught in a couple of different minds at once then I think your wariness is well-founded, and that's why I think, Joe, that like you're right to not say, no, it's going to be fine, and you're right to not say, it's definitely going to be bad, because we have to see where we go from here. But I think it is on this team and on Burhalter to show that we learned things from this, and we're not just going to keep repeating these same patterns. I would argue, if he's looking for a sequence to like, pull out as the thesis statement for what we should be doing, it is the second goal, the winning goal from Ricardo Pepe. Because it is, and I want to say, I don't think this was just hindsight in him constructing a narrative after the results, but the changes he talked about needing to happen, the things that went wrong in the first half, a lot of the, like, this goal comes about from those changes. It starts with him having identified that the center backs, the the outside center backs, were too slow to kind of spread wide to support the wing backs so the wing backs could pass off runners and step higher up the pitch. And here that is precisely what happens. Anthony Robinson goes high. uh, Mark McKenzie slides over, and he aggressively steps and wins the ball and then the United States get possession. That was another thing Berhalter talked about, was just not having the fight in those 50-50s, not challenging and then not winning the second balls. Here, Mark McKenzie challenges, spreads wide, is there in the right moment, wins the ball cleanly, and away the United States go. And then it's just so rapid fire. I think it goes to, I forget who it goes to essentially, it might be Acosta who then plays it wide to an overlapping Anthony Robinson. Anthony Robinson plays it into the feet of Brendan Aronson, Aronson, who was looking for the kind of diagonal into space that he could then, like, drive across the top of the box or top of the six, but instead cuts it back, plays it uh, to the top of the 18 to to Sebastian Legette. Legette spreads it wide. Roldan sort of dummies it, gets out of the way. It goes to Yedlin, who's now wide open. Yedlin picks his head up, takes a touch, pings that ball in and finds Ricardo Pepe, and it's just so rapid fire from start to finish, but it's quick technical passing. It's smart decision-making. It's great movement off the ball, and Ricardo Pepe... Just like the way he he holds his run, he picks his spots really well and gets into really good spaces. The equalizer comes from him holding the ball up uh, really, really well, laying it off to Pulisic. But then the run he makes uh, to get around the defender to just pull him out a little bit to open up that space that then Anthony Robinson is there for. I just thought that second goal, though, in particular was the way the U.S. should be playing. Defend hard, defend physically, move the ball quickly, make off the ball
2: runs, get numbers into the box, put that ball in there and make something happen. And the best part of this for me, and Taylor, you said it, rapid fire, I think was the phrase yep. you used. They were actually moving the ball with purpose and moving it yep. quickly from side to side. And, and sure, the cross is a bit hopeful, but there's a space in, in time for Yedlin to bend that ball in. And Pepe makes himself available in the box for the header. And it is a great headed finish from Ricardo Pepe. But the speed of play on this possession, I think, is a big thing that was missing in the first half. I talked about it with transition moments and how slow the U.S. was to get out on the break. And that's fixed a lot. And we can see that a bit on the first goal of this half where Brendan Aronson makes this incredible direct... In inner diagonal runs sort of that then clears space out wide. And, and the U.S. are just really breaking, and Pepe and Pulisic get involved, and Robinson ends up finishing at the back post after Legette crosses it in. You can see the speed of play on transition in that first goal, and you can see the speed of play change and increase in a positive way on this second goal for Pepe. They actually are moving the ball in possession, making Honduras chase and making their lives Difficult for one of the first times in this game in a way that we just didn't see in the first half. So Taylor, I totally agree. I think not only in terms of the players that are involved in this goal, it makes for a fun narrative with it being a bunch of the subs, but also with... The fact that the U.S. just looked more competent in that moment. And that's, that's one thing I've been trying to get at is the basics were just all wrong in the first half. And, and part of that really does have to go to the players. And the fact that they come out quicker and more motivated, clearly, we can see that visible change in the second half. That's a credit to them for actually stepping up in the second half.
1: Do, are there other individuals who you felt like stood out in that second half, or you think deserve some uh, some shouts for their performances? Oh, we
2: gotta talk, Pepe Taylor. Come on yeah, now, can. I I I went in on him a little bit in a hopefully a respectful way in that first half. I thought it was night and day in the second half, even even just, you can look at the change in his hold-up play. I mentioned he was getting bodied a, a number of different times in the first half. In the second half, that changes. He does much better in hold-up play, including on that first goal. Serving as an outlet, then laying the ball off to Christian Pulisic. He's not perfect in the second half with his hold-up play. He loses it once in the 74th minute, maybe a couple other times as well. But you can tell, he he's much more dialed in, and he's much more capable in those second-half moments. He actually impacted the game in a positive way, whereas in the first half, I'm not entirely sure that happened. And the fact that an 18-year-old. I believe he's 18. Shoot, I forgot. But the fact that a teenage teenage striker making his debut for the national team put in the level of performance he did in the second half, that is, for me, the single most encouraging part about this game. Credit to Ricardo Pepe for the work he put in in that second 45.
1: Agreed. And I think that second 45, he's playing on instinct, and that is just fundamentally what you want to see from that number nine from that person who's going to go out and get you goals that header is just awareness of where he needs to be and where to put the ball and it's that sounds very simple that sounds very basic it's not it's like you have to be able to back yourself in the moment so often if you're a striker and you just hesitate for a moment and you're like oh maybe I should play it to the like flick it to the far post instead as soon as you're debating in your head as the ball's coming in chances are you're not going to make good contact you're not going to put it on frame the way you would otherwise and that's just him knowing what he needed to do getting into the space to allow himself to do what he needed to do and then burying it but I think the hold up play It almost made me break my voice, apparently. The hold-up play (laughs) to start the first goal and and the way he then continues that run, uh, that made me so very happy. I will say for the first goal as well that it was... All three substitutes sort of involved because it's uh, it's uh what, Yedlin playing the ball in. It's Robinson, or excuse me, not Yedlin playing the ball in. It's uh Legette playing the ball yep. in. It's Robinson finishing. But going back and watching, Aronson makes a sprint yep. to the near post yep. that pulls the defender with him and opens up that space for the ball. So all three involved there, but Ricardo Pepe starting it and then sprinting into the box to be involved and create confusion. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty electric second half for him.
2: It was. It absolutely was. And it was an electric second half. I didn't think I'd be saying that. But there really were some some up-tempo moments in the second half. The third goal comes with Christian Roldan, who's come on for an injured Christian Pulisic. He's got an ankle injury. We don't yet know the severity of that, according to Greg Berhalter. But Roldan's come on. He's on the right now. Aronson shifted over to the left wing and Pepe in the middle. Honduras are in possession. Roldan steps forward, blocks a pass, wins the ball. Then the U.S. just drive forward from there. Pepe gets into the box, slides it over to Aronson. Aronson finishes 3-1. Then Tyler Adams causes a bit of chaos winning the ball on the fourth goal for Legette. Adams wins it. Plays uh, drives forward, then plays it over to Pepe, who's wide open. Honduras are scattered at this point. I don't think they ever truly responded in the second half at any point, point, and the subs that they made clearly did not help them out in that second half, but Pepe gets the ball, shoots, his shot is saved, Legette follows it up and scores. These are aggressive moments that you want to see from the U.S. Again, not entirely convinced that these are repeatable actions against quality teams, but scoring four goals is huge because it helps their goal difference. It, it gives the U.S. a little bit more cushion going forward, and coming out of this, window with five points is not the worst thing
1: no it's certainly not it's not the best thing but it's way better than two i'll say that um i will also say that yeah from the second half and from like these three games i would say ricardo pepe is a huge winner from this camp i would say the robinsons both of them having a, a pretty strong camp and then matt turner Oh my goodness, Matt Turner. Uh, the, the save in the second half that he kind of has no business making, but at that point I thought like, oh, here we go. They're going to concede another one. It's going to be two to one and we're going to be right back to where we were. And then he, he just, he, he pulled out some saves in this game. He has the one where he gets off of his line and realizes he's out of the box and kind of like chests the ball away. Yeah. Then realizes, oh, they might be able to make a play on this. So then he continues to run and clear it. I just, I thought he was. Solid in a time when the United States desperately needed at least somebody in that defense to be solid. Uh, I think Matt Turner is a massive winner from this camp.
2: Matt Turner's a winner. I think Anthony Robinson is a winner okay. as well. Getting forward on that left side, providing some verticality that I think the U.S. needed. Bellow brings something a bit different. He can come inside. He wasn't especially effective in the first half, and so I can understand why he was subbed off. Robinson, I thought, was good. Not perfect. Scuffed a few passes. Scuffed at least one pass on that left side. But did some nice things. Getting forward, obviously scoring that first goal was huge. Crashing the box was huge. So I enjoyed what I saw from him. I, I enjoyed Christian Pulisic trying things when he was on the field. Looked dangerous on the ball. He looked like a class of far above every other U.S. men's national team player on the field. Sometimes that led to him over-dribbling um, and drifting centrally and forcing passes, but the U.S. had nothing going for them in that first half, so I don't really fault him too much for that. I hope, I hope he'll be back in October and that he recovers quickly. Taylor, any other performances that you especially liked or didn't like in this game?
1: Yeah. Uh, I continue to think Western <laughs> McKinney is a pretty big loser from this camp uh, because this game definitely needed him and could have used that intensity and energy and didn't have it. Uh, I thought Josh Sargent... Really hurt his stock uh, over these three games, and and in this one, yes, is played out of position. Yes, isn't really set up to fully succeed by Greg Berhalter, but still, the lack of sharpness, the lack of mobility, it, it was pretty on display, and just his lack of familiarity with the system. Hopefully, that changes as he gets more minutes with Norwich. If he gets more minutes with Norwich, but uh, I I did not think this was a good one for him. I thought John Brooks the same. I I felt like. He is he is a defender that you and I often don't even really talk about because we just know he's going to be in the starting eleven and we know he's very good for Wolfsburg. But in these last two games, he is at fault for both goals and or at least two of the goals. And I and I feel like yeah, two, both goals. And and I just I didn't expect that from him. And I don't know if he just needs a wake up call. If if there's something else going on. Uh, but I think I come away from this camp having more questions about the center backs than I definitely did going in.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, Taylor. It's not like it's not like you and I are surprised by defensive breakdowns from John Brooks. Right? We're not surprised when he gets beat 1v1, when he loses a battle, you know, in a 1v1 situation at the edge of the box. That happens with Wolfsburg a decent amount. He's just not quick in that way. He's not lateral. He doesn't have that lateral quickness in yeah. that burst of speed. But the issue is is not those moments from these last couple of games. It's not him getting beaten in a 1v1 situation. It's him just not showing defensive effort, and that's a problem. And that's not something that we can really predict or, or translate from Wolfsburg to the US men's national team. That's something that I've a bit, that I was a bit surprised by in this camp. And if he doesn't up that effort in October. He, he's not going to be getting minutes. He's not going to be playing for as important as he is. He hasn't brought a lot of impact on the ball breaking lines with his passing. Part of that, and maybe most of that, is on just how dire the U.S. has looked in possession and how, especially against Canada, he wasn't set up to find those line-breaking passes in the middle. And that's more on the system than on him in particular. But yeah. not a good window from John Brooks at all, and no. he's going to need to bounce back in October.
1: I think I would – I agree. I think I would amend what you said slightly to say, like, more defensive effort in the right moment. Because yeah. there, are, there are some who might point to the fact that he tried to sprint 20 yards to make a play that then leads to the first goal. It's like, well, he was trying. There was effort there. He made that 20-yard sprint. and And I think – To go back to your point, Joe, about what we've seen from him at club level, you're right that he is not the most fleet of foot, and he is very tall, which makes it harder for those like kind of tight 1v1s. And so what I feel like we tend to see from him with Wolfsburg is that he doesn't get into those positions, that when he does step, it's he wins the ball, he reads it really, really well, or he makes them go backwards with it. When he is sort of stepping out there, he doesn't let that defender turn and put himself into that vulnerable spot, and here he did. And I think he has a couple different times in this camp. And so that's where I say, like, the effort has to be improved, but it has to be improved in the right moments. And then when that's not happening, the leadership needs to be there. The communication, the just leading by example and keeping things calm and keeping things simple. I We, we need to see from that from him in the next game. Let me ask you this then, Joe. Like. I think we both agree, first half bad, second half better. I am more positive (laughs) than you are, I think, overall. But we, I think, also both agree that We are back to we have some questions about this team at a very basic level that I think heading into qualifying with the way the summer went after the El Salvador game. I think we both felt like, yeah, it's on the road. It's youngsters. It's the occasion maybe getting to them. Berhalter, like we'll see how he picks them up for the Canada game. And I felt firmly that they would get the win and look completely comprehensively good, and they did the opposite of that. And so then it was, well, that's two games. It feels harsh to kind of just completely – throw everything out the window because of two bad games. And after that first half, it was, I think the thing that I kept trying to like figure out of my head was just that I did heading into this camp, think Burhalter was the right guy for the job. I think he has shown a willingness to adapt, to bring in players, to bring in dual nationals and get them involved in the squad. And it felt like get everybody on the same page and make a pretty harmonious squad. And so we have the West McKinney issue. And I'm not putting that on Burhalter but after that first half last night it seemed like it do we have a good like do we have a good team do these guys know how to play like it just it felt like such a different team than we have seen previously if you put those two and a half games in a vacuum i think the response is like how did this guy get a job how is this team playing and then that that second half was stronger and did show us some of the positives but i think in the end i still end up like like, if I was 100% in on Greg Burhalter before this started, I guess I'm like 75% in, like, right now. So let me ask you, that is all my setup to ask you this, Joe. Let let me set this stage for you. Next round of qualifying, the first game, right? We see this starting 11, and we see these tactics. We see Matt Turner in goal, Anthony Robinson at left back, Serginho Dest at right back, Mark McKenzie, and Mark McKenzie and Miles Robinson as our two center backs in a 4-3-3. Tyler Adams ahead of them, Eunice Musa and Kellen Acosta partnering him, Gio Reyn on the right, Christian Pulisic on the left, Ricardo Pepe up top with the instructions of we are going to be in a mid block, we're going to aggressively step and win the ball, we're going to make sure we have coverage wide, uh, that we are going to keep our attackers like moving into central positions. So we have numbers in the middle, but they're not going to be static. We're not just going to try to stretch the back line. There's going to be a ton of off the ball movement, quick passing combinations. And then and then in this theoretical game, uh the the opposition team sets up to completely counteract what the U.S. is doing in that 4-3-3, which has been the, the case for both Canada and this Honduras game in the first half. It seemed like they kind of nullified what the U.S. was trying to do. And let's say they do that and Berhalter makes one little adjustment. Instead of having Pulisic move central, he pulls him wide. That takes two defenders with him and now their space and the U.S. gets a goal. Like right there is that Berhalter learning and showing that like, nope, never mind. He is the right man for the job because he took those experiences. He brought them into this team. Like, would that be enough to make you feel like, never mind, I feel way better?
2: Would just to be clear, would that that little Pulisic
1: change be enough for me? I mean, the whole thing, that starting 11, those tactics, and then that little in-game adjustment because the opposition is doing basically everything they can to nullify the U.S.'s game plan.
2: Um, It would be a positive step, right? It would be a nice – to see that adjustment, I I like the lineup in large part, Taylor, and I like not all but, but most of those instructions. The issue is just we need to see it consistently. And we haven't seen it consistently. So I'm going to be hesitant. I, I mean, I will give credit as, to the best of my ability. I'm not a perfect analyst and none of us are really. I will give credit to the best of my ability where I feel like it is deserved. And, and I'll be positive in moments where I think it is fair to be positive and to be excited. And I hope I've done that at least a few times in this particular episode. The thing is, it just needs to happen again and again and again. And so one one game and one lineup and one adjustment and one set of tactics tactics against Jamaica at home is not necessarily going to move the needle for me all the way to one side versus if if everything falls apart it's not going to move it all the way to the other side. I think I will be in the middle forever. It's just about where over time how does that move how does that needle move and it might not move drastically from one game to the next mm-hmm. but it will move overall in a progressive way, the U.S. needs consistent results and they need consistent performances as well. And I know before this whole cycle started, I talked about how this is the time where results trump performances. That is true. But at the same time, If the performances are not up to par, like I said before, the luck will run out and you will start to drop points in bad situations. So they are always and forever going to be related results and performances. But I think the U.S. needs more consistency. And so one result or one performance against Jamaica isn't going to sway me all the way into the Berhalter knows exactly what he's doing camp.
1: What about in the opposite direction? Like, do you have that same level of patience if things continue to be erratic, or is it basically one more game of things being erratic is enough for us to see the pattern of we're still inconsistent, we still don't seem like we have a cohesive game plan, I am very worried.
2: This is when I... I am so thankful that I don't have Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride's job Um, because not only are a lot of people just mad at them all the time, which, you know, fair enough at times, but we're assuming that Brian McBride knows he still has like like, someone has heard from him in the last few months. I'm
1: assuming I'm assuming somebody's talked to
2: him. Yeah. Well, if we make that assumption here, I'm glad I don't have their job because this is a really unfortunate time to have to make a managerial change. And we've seen that happen before very recently, and it can have some pretty unfortunate consequences and results. so I, I am, like I said before, the needle is in the middle, somewhere between Beralter is great and Beralter is terrible and should be fired. Right now, it is, it's is—it's probably closer to the left side. And I just motioned. You, I just realized everyone can't see where my hands are. The Beralter's bad sides on the left. So I'm closer to that Beralter's bad side on the left with my left hand that I'm waving around right now like a madman. I'm closer to that side than I am to the other side. I don't think, based on my nature and and maybe how I think soccer works, I don't think that will change, and I'll push all the way to the left if the Jamaica game was really bad. But, I mean, Berhalter is, he's walking a bit of a thin line at the moment. He's on some thinner ice than he was when this particular World Cup qualifying window started. That's that's where I stand on things, Taylor.
1: All right. Uh I have another question for you that I will, like, uh, sort of set the stage for with uh, I, this occurred to me after I had had a drink last night after I had had a tall glass of water for fans of we hate movies they will maybe understand what that means Uh, Joe I then posed this question to you with a little bit of warning so you could think about it I, I did have a feeling for a moment that like okay if we're gonna be in the World Cup let's hope we qualify let's hope we're, we make it to the knockout round and there's a game that has gone very poorly in the first half if the United States breezed through qualifying, never really looked uncomfortable, never had a situation in which, like, backs against the wall, you've got to find a way to win, and then they're kind of trying to do that in the moment in a knockout round game in the World Cup, I think they they would struggle. I think that they would be, with the youth and inexperience that's there, and a lot of those players, it's going to be their first World Cup. I, I, I would get, venture to guess almost all of them it will be their first World Cup. Uh, like, it's... It would be a a big, big challenge to expect that result. And so there is a part of me that wonders, like, is this a good experience? Is this sort of backs against the wall? We have to get a result if we do not win this game. Heads might roll. We might be fired. U.S. soccer is going to explode. Twitter is already angry. Like, there's that pressure there. And that they do get the result that Berhalter does make those proactive changes, to me is I think a reason why I have this in more of the positive column it's it it is the sort of thing you want the response we need in that meaningful knockout round game so that is my Theory that I was working on, Joe, I turned it to you to agree with
2: or more likely rip it apart. Uh, so you're talking, Taylor, you're talking about facing adversity, right? And the value of facing adversity yeah. and how that prepares these players, especially such a young group of players for the future. And I am 100% with you. Facing adversity and overcoming adversity has value. I will not take that away from this team. The The idea and the premise there that I struggle with is that this is the only way to find situations with adversity, right? There was never a reality where the U.S. was going to breeze through qualifying without adversity, right? That's just not realistic. That's not how this works. That's not how it works anywhere in the world in terms of World Cup qualifying. The, the issue, the biggest issue I have is this group's already faced adversity, maybe a little bit too much adversity in my mind. The Nations League semifinal against Honduras, late goal from Jordan Pifak. Uh, semifinal in the Gold Cup against Qatar, late goal from Jossie Zardes to score and, and get that game winner after a struggle filled first half and some questionable moments in the second half. It's already happened some in this window, fighting against El Salvador away, uh, losing players. I mean, they have already faced adversity. So I would rather, as a player, as as someone who watches these games, as a member of the media, I, I would rather see, in terms of how I think this team would best prepare for the World Cup, I would rather see them look competent from the start of a game and accept those <laughs> moments of adversity as they come rather than try to take a moment of adversity out of a game where there was just so much bad stuff. Does that make sense? Am I like, does it, that make sense? It does. And also felt like a low key roast at the end. Didn't you? <laughs> it wasn't I didn't mean it to be <laughs> like, I personally would like
1: it if we did live terrible <laughs> for 45 minutes. I don't know. That's, that's just me though. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, that's a fair point, Joe. All right. then, then. Like, maybe not final question for you, but the other thing that then makes me wonder is, like, do we or do I need to look at myself then? Like, if we're making the argument that, like, this has kind of been the case, there has been adversity, there has been backs against the wall, we got to make something happen here, performances, then, like, is this team just what they are? Which is a flawed team that can be really fun to watch and can be very attacking, but can also just be really frustrating and seem devoid of ideas at times like is that just going to be kind of the nature of things for a while and has that been the nature that the just the results against mexico uh both times this summer sort of like
2: elevated to a level that maybe they're not quite actually at maybe right i think that's that's a great way to express my current theory and feelings about this team inconsistent proven that they can fight back and proven that they can play in big games but not necessarily At a level where they're looking consistently dominant, right? That's not a hot take. They haven't looked dominant under Berhalter yet. And it's been a while. He has a hard job at the same time. He has a hard job, a really young group of players. He's he's done some things very well. So national recruitment, managing that locker room. I think those are things that he has been exceptional at as far as I can tell from the last couple of years. The on-field product is still not not there yet. And that is a bit concerning at this point in the cycle at this point, you know, with the World Cup 14 months away or, or however far away November 2022 is. I, I think, Taylor, you're you're pretty spot on with that description, at least in terms of how I view this team. Inconsistent, they've shown flashes, but they are not yet playing at a level where I think people who watch this team would feel confident about them playing in a World Cup qualifier.
1: So let's say next next round of qualification, it's... Three one nil wins. Like like is, is that what you would like to see? Would that make you feel better about this team? I guess I guess I'm with you. Like where we end up is that I, I'm still sort of like, I think we're gonna be okay, but it's definitely like heading into this, I never would have even thought that's a question. Uh so I feel mostly positive, but I also think that I'm a person who likes to know this is working or this isn't working. I, I think like I feel better with a plan. And I feel like right now I I don't quite know what the plan is. It's the least I felt like I've got been able to understand fully what the plan is with this team from start to finish. So, like what would make you Joe feel better over those next 3 games like aside from winning all 3?
2: Yeah, winning winning would be a great start. And mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not necessarily expecting the US to take 9 points from that window. It yeah. would be it would be nice and it is doable. It's Jamaica at home, Panama away and then uh Costa Rica at home for the US. So those are winnable games, obviously. But it's hard. I think winning those games is is huge, and getting a, a respectable number of points from those games is huge. I also do want to see this team look better and look more cohesive. I want to see Greg Berhalter put players in spots that make sense. I want to see them go out and execute a game plan. I want to see. I want to be able to tell what the game plan is and and have convincing moments that articulate and illustrate what the game plan is. Those things would all make me feel better. It's hard to predict exactly what's going to happen because those things aren't going to all fall in place like that. That's just not realistic for any particular team. So I don't know that there is a concrete set of things that if this checklist happens and we check all the things off that checklist, I don't know that I'm magically going to feel better about this team. I think the uncertainty is just where we are right now watching this U.S. Men's national team. I, If you ask me today, will they make it to the World Cup? My answer is, of course, yes. I still think that's going to happen. But I'm not fully convinced that this team will be able to finish out this World Cup qualifying campaign in a strong way, and if they do make it or when they do make it to the World Cup, that they'll put in a solid performance at the World Cup because that should be our expectation. We should be getting closer and closer to a time where we can say the U.S. should go to World Cup and put in some performances and get some results that are positive. And right now, I don't feel great about that, and I think that is the reality of the situation we're in with this team right now.
1: Yeah, and, and I think the context of this qualifying campaign is important because – This time, last time, I remember it being like, like this is how it always goes, it's not a big deal, they're going to find a way to get a result, like, yeah, you lost the two, Arena's coming in, it's going to be fine. And we know how that went. And I almost feel like there is a reaction to that. There's like a little bit of PTSD for U.S. soccer fans of now, like, I don't think people would be nearly as concerned if the U.S. had been to the last World Cup with the way things have started. That they didn't, and then looked, uh, like, like, basically like just uninspiring, I think brings about that. Like, are we doing it again? Is this going to happen? Are we ever going to go to a World Cup again? And I think there is some of that emotionality to it. But I also think like it's you're right that the worst case scenario is it's, it's not qualifying. I agree with you. I think they still will. That is certainly the worst case. But I think my next worst case is that they do qualify But it's in this fashion of like, oh, they played well, but then they played really poorly and then they had an okay game. Oh, that was bad again. But then that second half was good. And if we still if we finish qualification and there's a long way to go and a lot of time still to figure things out. But if they finish qualification still being erratic, still being inconsistent and basically then setting themselves up to go to a World Cup with the fan base, not entirely sure if they're good or bad or if
2: they have a plan and if that plan is
1: going to work. That is my next worst-case scenario.
2: Yeah, no, I, I, Taylor, I'm totally with you. Things are murky right now. There are some worst-case scenarios. Even the best-case scenario, probably unrealistic in some of the sub-best-case scenarios are, are not all that great. So, I mean, there's a lot of question marks around this team right now. After the performance yep. that we saw last night, those question marks are very warranted. After some of the performances we've seen over the summer leading into the fall, it still feels like summer here in Arizona, but for most folks, I think we're in fall at this point. It, it's not its not great right now, and the sky is not falling five points from these three games. Like we said, that is okay. Not great, but okay. There is time to figure things out, like you're saying, Taylor. It's just not all rosy right now in a way that I think a lot of folks out there hoped that it would be. And and that's where I think you and I will continue to do our uh Americans in Action
1: this past weekend. We still haven't settled on a new title for that it's one. Pretty good though. But uh people welcome to listen to that one and then also watch those games themselves because now we kind of have seen for Josh Sargent, we can watch like how he does with this hold up play and his movement off the ball for Norwich if he gets those opportunities, but we can see what players are working on and how they're developing towards coming together to build this cohesive team that gets results in a consistent way. And, and I think that, that is where I end up being positive as well, is that we know this wasn't great, but it is not nearly as bad as it could have been. Two points from the first three games is about as bad as, as I think it could have gone. I can't really fathom getting zero points from three games in CACACAF. Uh, but I think we now know there's gotta be fight. There's gotta be a response. We need more consistency from this team. And there's a lot of opportunity. I think there's a ton of openings still in areas that I didn't think there would be. But rather than see that, that this is what I think it is, Joe, is that like rather than that be a bad thing of like, oh, no, now we don't know who's going to start here or who's going to start here. I think I do almost see it as like, yeah, we don't know that because some people have underperformed. And wouldn't we rather know, yeah, that's open because that guy hasn't really closed the door on it being his spot and no one else's? Like, that's what we want. There needs to be competition and people fighting for places right up until the start of the World Cup. uh, Unless we have 11 guys who've just nailed it down, locked it down. They're winning every single game. We know those are our starters. Those are the two realities, and I think the one in which we have people fighting for spots right up until the start of the World Cup is the far more likely scenario – but I think, in some ways, that's a good thing because then we're always learning, we're always evolving, we're always pushing to that next level. That said, if in those next games we have a back five with Tyler Adams at right back, and I, I don't even know who would go in there, like a Gucci Aneuw suddenly playing as a central midfielder, I'm going to be very concerned.
2: No, no, Taylor, there's no competition. Ricardo Pepe has all ten outfield spots locked down. There we go. Matt Turner's still go. in goal, obviously. But I mean, I think we, I think, I think the lineup is sorted at this point.
1: All right. Perfect. Ten Ricardo Pepys, one Matt Turner, (laughs) World Cup titles, Golden Boot, Golden Ball, Golden Gloves, all of them coming back to the United States. Joe Lowry, until that happens, anything else uh, to talk about from Honduras, USA? I'm sure there will be things down the road, but for now, I should say, is there anything else you'd like to talk about?
2: I don't think so, man. October 7th, that next game for the U.S. is going to come very quickly. We're going to blink and it's going to be here and we're going to be doing this exact same thing, hopefully with some different things to talk about. But no, I've exhausted my thoughts for now on this game
1: ricardo pepe is the truth listeners thank you all for listening joe lowry thank you once again for joining me today you got it uh josh sargent and john brooks go out and work hard and come back ready to go and until then listeners we'll talk to you all again very soon